You ready to go? I am ready to go. Okay. Cults, cults, cults. <laughs> All are bad. None are goods. Cults, cults, cults. <laughs> wow, now we have a new theme song. Yeah. <laughs> And welcome to the new episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And we are very happy to have you back with us again. This is going to be episode 14. For 14. Us. There's nothing fun about 14. No. 15 is kids in year. 16 is the sweet 16. 17, you're drinking at that point. So you don't care. And 18, you're an adult. Uh, I grew up in Newfoundland, so we were starting drinking much before 17, I... I had an army dad, so no. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so before we get into our stories today, and they are a couple of humdingers uh, from what I understand, let's tell you where you can find us. You can find us online at our website at rabbitholespodcast.com, email rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com, Twitter at rabbitholespod. Facebook, Rabbit Holes Podcast page, Instagram, at Rabbit Holes Podcast. And if you want to take a moment now before, well, actually don't do it now because you might have to stop the episode, but when the episode is over, if you want to take a minute (laughs) and leave us a good rating on either iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're getting this download, that would be great. And tell your friends about us. Uh, Start spreading the word. Start spreading the new. No, I'm not gonna. The burr, burr, burr. Burr is the word. <laughs> I like that one better. <laughs> uh, yeah, just uh, help us get our name out there and increase our visibility, please, and thank you. So, Andy, tonight we are. It is tonight when we are recording. Yes. Not necessarily when people are listening to this, but. It's a Wednesday night. Yes. It is cold. It's the first really cold day we've had. I'm so glad I took out my winter coat today. Yeah. But I feel like... I feel personally victimized by the fact that it's like not even mid-November yet and it's already so cold. Oof. Welcome to Canada. Yeah, it sucks six months out of the year for this very reason. So tonight's stories are um, interesting. Yes. And troubling. Yes. So I think we should just dive right on in. Yes. And since we both know what we're doing, we decided that Andy would go first tonight. This week, I'm looking at cults. Uh, recently, Elise and I binge watched, uh, binge, binge watched, binge watched, <laughs> binge listened the <laughs> podcast uh, called Uncover from CBC, and it was called Uncover. Season one was Escaping Nexium. And I don't think I've ever really binged a podcast. No, where neither. I was up until like one o'clock at night. Dan was gone uh, hunting, and one night I got up, I fell asleep with Liz, I got up and it was like 10.30, I was cleaning up the kitchen so slowly <laughs> and so quietly, just listening to this podcast, because I couldn't turn it up too loud, because I didn't want to wake up the kids. Uh-huh. And by the time I got to bed, I was like, holy crap, this is a work night, it's one o'clock, and I'm just like, just a few more minutes. Yes. <laughs> so it was really good. Uh, it was worth it, I'm sure. It was. Um, <laughs> But much like a good book, I just couldn't put it down. Mm-hmm. So I got into cults. So I want to read them about them. It was so interesting, to, especially to look at Nexium and how they sucked people in. Because thinking myself, 
I could see how I could get sort of yeah. sucked into it, especially say July when I was having a bit of a crisis in my life mm-hmm. and how that really could have, you know, made me very vulnerable to something yeah. like that. But like even for me, I was listening to some of like what Nexium was selling and I was just like, that makes sense. And it's because I'm in a renewal phase in my yeah. life too with a new job and everything. Yeah. And I'm like, if it weren't for like the horribleness of the people associated, I could actually implement some of these lessons. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm all about making myself better, just not even totally. a sex slave. Right. With branding. Um, with branding, yeah. <laughs> but even outside of that, just the whole paying thousands and thousands and thousands, like this pyramid scheme, multi-level yeah. marketing business. I feel like we've started on chapter five, and we're going to have to back out for the listeners who don't know about Nexium. <laughs> Look it up, people. <laughs> so, uh, what is a cult? Cambridge Dictionary defines it as a religious group, often living together, whose beliefs are considered strange by many people. Dictionary.com has it uh, as a system or religious devotion directed towards a particular figure or object. Lots of groups can be considered cults, and they're they're groups that we wouldn't necessarily think of as cults, like Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, ISIS. But they all have one leader who created a group that they have a shared extreme ideology and they have followers that believe in the cause so strongly that they're willing to do really horrible things for it. Right. So when we think of cults, though, I think in especially Western society, we think of sex, guns and murder mm-hmm. and suicide. Yep. Like Jonestown, a.k.a. the People's Church or Branch Davidians. Yep. That's sort of what we think of when cults. We think of charismatic leaders sleeping with his followers potentially underage, like, mm-hmm. or Mormons with their polygamy sex that are basically cults, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. And so. I think drink the Kool-Aid has become yes. a, a byword in our culture and our oh, society, yeah. and like, that's got a cult base behind it. Exactly, again, Jonestown. Um, so I, I just wanted to look at a couple of different, a uh, few different cults that we might not know about. So we'll start with uh, the lesser of the horrible things that these cults oh, have done. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to ease into it. So this is the Church of Euthanasia. Oh, boy. It's run by a woman. Hey, you know, sisters. Doing it for ourselves. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Patron St. Kevorkian. So its popular slogan, it was popularized, it started in the 90s and popular in sort of the 90s. The most popular slogan, and they used to buy up billboards and put it uh, put it up in places, was save the planet, kill yourself. Oh, God. <laughs> and its founding ideology has one commandment, that thou shall not procreate. Okay. And the four main pillars were suicide, abortion, and cannibalism of the already dead, and sodomy. Hmm. Uh, so basically, suicide was strongly encouraged. Abortion was encouraged if needed. Okay. Uh, cannibalism, because if you're going to eat meat, you have to eat human flesh as well of the already dead. So if you're going to eat any meat. Um, and sodomy, any sexual act not intended for procreation, because up the butt's no baby, right? Well, butt babies, but yeah, okay. Um, oh, the butts, no, baby. <laughs> can we come back to the whole eat dead people? So I am not vegan or vegetarian. I like myself a big old steak. So I love me some steak. If you were to tell me, come on over, I've got T-Bones grilling, uh, happened to have found the cow dead on the side of the road. Don't know necessarily why or how he died, but I didn't have to kill him, so fair game, right? 
I'm calling the people with the rubber rooms to come get you. <laughs> so when they say eat the dead, what, like, is there parameters around that? Not that I could find. But it was just a, if you dare eat meat, meat. because most of environmentalists believe that uh, cattle, livestock are creating a, a large amount of methane, bad for the environment, we should all be vegan or vegetarian, mm-hmm. which actually isn't also sustainable either because no. then we'd have to bulldoze so much land to create enough like produce to... I mean, like almond farming is basically the cause of the California drought, if you believe some people who study it really, really in depth. Yeah, like... And like almond milk is like the biggest thing. Um, I know, like it's... Have you ever tried to make almond like? Oh, no. I've bought a carton of it to make oat, like overnight oats, and I felt terrible about it because I know how much production goes into one carton of almond milk. I know. <laughs> they have to soak it. I but you know what's worrisome is that almond milk stayed in my fridge for like two months, never went bad. I literally had to like pour it down the drain. It still smelled and looked okay. I just didn't trust it at that point. Yeah. The, uh, I used to live with a roommate who was uh, lactose intolerant, so she used to get um, soy milk. Mm-hmm. But she used to get it fresh. She used to be in the She used to get it fresh from one of the Asian markets. Okay. Which is much better than what the, as she called it, white people soy milk. No fair. <laughs> that you could buy in like an aisle. Yes. So anyway, the uh, Church of Euthanasia uh, had their slogans. Like I said, they were very big on conflicts with pro-life Christian groups. Of course. So they used to go, so when the pro-life Christian groups would uh, picket outside a abortion clinic, they would picket the pro-lifers. Okay. And like... Local cops must have loved that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they would have big signs like, save the planet, kill yourself, six billion humans can't be wrong, eat a queer fetus for Jesus. Oh boy. My personal favorite. Um, yeah. So they used to do a lot of publicity stunts. So they bought a big billboard, you know, save the planet, kill yourself. They went on Jerry Springer. This feels like the complete opposite of Westboro Baptist. Yeah, pretty much is the opposite. <laughs> but like it's the same tactics. And yeah, it's opposite, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Jerry Springer show. So they went on an episode of the Jerry Springer show titled, I want to join a suicide cult. On their website, they had instructions on how to kill yourself Ooh, yes yeah, yeah does this yeah. called end in a lawsuit well okay so not to jump the gun here pun intended but still <laughs> pro suicide advocacy bent, uh, went so far as to purchase a billboard with a 1-900 number for a suicide assistance hotline and the message said every helping you every step of the way thousand people thousands helped how about you? The idea was to play callers pre-recorded messages with suicide instructions, but the phone company recognized these intentions and never activated the line. Good. Um, <laughs> the whole liability issue came up. Yeah. Somebody so, did a risk management assessment. So the founder, she would openly tout instructions on the website as a way to get publicity, uh, telling a journal, um, uh, a magazine Shovel in 1999 that it was a disappointment to her that no one actually killed themselves and then had their parents sue us, that would have actually punched through the media shield. Ew. However, when 2003, a woman in Missouri was found dead lying next to a printout from the Church of Euthanasia site. Ruh-ruh. So the top prosecutor for the city of St. Louis publicly threatened the church with a voluntary manslaughter charge, mm-hmm. and the instructions were promptly removed. <laughs> so they backed down. 
quickly and speedily. That uh, is a sloppy cult. Yeah. So <laughs> um, when this, so I'm reading from a Vice article, uh, when they followed up and, and asked her about it, she said that I'm aware of any such activities, nor would I be disposed to comment or discuss such activities if it did in fact exist. What a pussy. Yes. <laughs> if you're going to commit, like if you're going to do it, commit. In 1996, the church began counter-protests against anti-abortion activists in the Boston area. The first weekend, church members stood outside a Boston clinic carrying signs to provoke demonstrators with messages like, fuck breeding, sperm-free cunts for the earth, fetuses are for scraping, the depressed commit spermicide, make love not babies, no kid, no labor, love earth, tire tubes, and feeling maternal, adopt. Some of those messages I can get behind. Some of them not so much. Some of them definitely not. <laughs> the next weekend they went to a clinic. Uh, so this weekend after this original really big mm-hmm. um, anti, anti-abortion. Pro-abortion. Anti. Anti-abortion. I guess it would be pro-abortion protest rally. Just really annoying those obnoxious anti-abortion protesters really. Trolling before Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Trolling before Twitter. Definitely trolling before Twitter. (laughs) Uh, So they went to a clinic that had been the site of a shooting a year earlier and there was this big group of anti-abortion protesters going to be there. So they showed up to troll in the biggest way possible pre-Twitter with a new 15 by 6 foot banner that said, eat a queer fetus for Jesus. Oh boy. I have a feeling that I'm going to need a shower after this one. Uh, A month later, they also antagonized uh, church-based anti-abortion demonstrators by dressing like Catholic priests, carrying a sign saying, pedophilia, priests for life. Oh boy. So they went on Jerry Springer. They were very... They were a cult, but in the loosest, sloppiest cult ever. Yeah. More of a media attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she she did not, they did not have a tight run or a... Because, like, if she backed down so quickly... Backed down so quickly. Whereas, like... They didn't even get sued. They just got threatened to be sued. Like, compare that to the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Which we will talk about later. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this cult no longer exists. She has pretty much taken everything down. Um, there are still some, I think the website still exists. I wasn't gonna click on it at work. Um, <laughs> I'll bet you it's like real 2000s HTML looking. Probably. <laughs> Squarespace is not giving them space. But this article from Vice wasn't that long ago. And uh, so when uh, talking with this journalist she found out that the journalist and his wife had no plans to have kids so she actually asked them if they wanted to join the cult oh boy join her church sorry church uh, i would like to point out that just because you don't want to have children doesn't mean you want to get on board with crazy town <laughs> so she says that humans are making a conscious choice to place their intentions above the well-being of life and that is not merely foolish or misguided it is shameful and crim- criminal if humans are unable for whatever reason to exist in a way that supports life, then humans are unfit and must be eliminated. See, this is like the type of thing that you can think inside your head that you should not say out loud, and especially not around people. Yeah. <laughs> this is also what gives like environmentalist bad names. Because they go, yes. Remember that crazy lady who started a cult about killing yourself? 
She must be the ultimate hate watcher of 18 Kids and Counting. <gasps> oh, yeah. I bet you she does. <laughs> like, I think that's going too far for a lot of reasons. Uh-huh. But, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that a cult you're going to speak of? No, no. Because I think the Quiverful movement could definitely qualify. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think I was trying to stay away from ones that we all knew. Like, Fair enough. That... I had never heard of the Church of Euthanasia, so... Exactly. Good call. And it was one of the few I found that was started by a woman. Ah. Yes. But sloppily started by a woman, so... <laughs> Sisters do better. Well, not sloppily started, just sloppily... Executed. Executed and stuck to. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wanted to see a sister who started a cult, and it was like... Young nubile men are ready all of the time. It would be a nice, refreshing change. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So next is the Order of the Solar Temple. This sounds vaguely familiar. Yes, Lay it off probably. Me. So also known as the Solar Temple is a secret society and a cult that claims to be based upon the ideals of the Knights Templar. It was started in 1984 in Geneva with the, with the aims of the order were to establish correct notions of authority and power in the world. Oh, this feels like white people. Get, yeah. Uh, an affirmation of the prim- primary, the spiritual over the temporal, assisting humans through the great transition, and preparing for the second coming of Christ. Oh, boy. <laughs> this group loved the Templars. They had many levels of membership, um, and rituals were said to be done using altars and to level up call it level line up. <laughs> I picture like a little Marion brother. Do, 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 yeah. Um, you have to buy expensive jewelry, costumes, oh, regalia, look at that. and of course payment of fees. Some rituals are said to have included a sword, the higher level that was from the Templars that De Marbro, one of the two uh, founders of this religion, got a thousand years ago in a past life from the Templar, so I think he thought he was oh. the reincarnation of a Knights Templar. So, of course, this group ended with a bunch of murder-suicides. Of course. So they went on for a few years. They went on for about 10, 11 years before shit went sideways. They had a lot of really influential people. They had clubs that were like the public could go into and listen to their teachings, and they had memberships, and he leveled up from there. They had places in Quebec and in Switzerland and France and mm. other parts of the world. Um, and to some degree, I guess they're still a little bit around, but predominantly they are no longer uh, around because a lot of them are dead, as we will <laughs> learn. So what started this chain of events was the murder of a three-year-old child in oh 1994 and his parents. His parents were former par- former uh, members of the organization, or they were current members. So it was two accounts, yeah. Um, Dean Marlborough, one of the leaders, thought this child was the Antichrist who was going to stop him from succeeding his spiritual aim. Okay, but that's flawed because the Antichrist has to come before the second coming of Jesus can happen. This is what pisses me off about these religious people. Like, know your book. Don't cherry pick. You got to know all of it. (laughs) But there's also some uh, accounts I read that this kid's parents left. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the leader was pissed they left, so he had the whole family murdered, Mm -hmm. not necessarily... And then justified it later. Yeah. Uh, So, who knows? But anyways, the parents and the three-month-old child were all... Three-month or three-year? Three-month. Oh. Sorry, three-month-old child, yes. So, very little. Oh, even worse. Yes. Of course, he had this child killed, 
Because, hey, Antichrist is going to stop me from my spiritual aims. Four members of the cult committed the murders, and then two members, a Swiss couple, cleaned the house and then set it on fire. They had timers on cans of gasoline. They burnt the house down, and they died. Committed suicide in the fire. Yikes. Um, A few days later, De Marlboro staged a Last Supper with his inner circle. Okay. And a few days later, 15 inner circle members committed suicide by poison. 30 members of the uh, group were shot or smothered. And then another eight more were murdered in various other ways. Yikes. There's some left after all of this? Yeah. They were a pretty big organization. Uh, these m- murders and suicides took place in Switzerland and Quebec. There were some kids involved with mm-hmm. these ones too. Um, the sw- in Sweden, the bodies were found in a ch- underground chapel lined with mirrors and Templar artifacts. Switzerland or Sweden? Uh, Switzerland. And I think there were some in Sweden too. There, there were a bunch of them. And then another round of murder suicides took place in, two th- in 1995, where 23 bodies were found in France. And in 1997, five more members killed themselves in Quebec. Wow. Where they uh, burned down the house again. Did they go through the indignity of having to clean it first? Because that's what really stuck me in this whole story. I know. Like, if you're going to burn it, don't waste your time cleaning it. But also, how did they know they cleaned it? Why would you even bother and burn this motherfucker down? That's, yeah. So the some of the members were found with bags over their heads, the plastic bags, which I guess was part of the ritual. Drugged, shot, and then bags put over their heads. There was a lot of suggestions that bags over the head were part of a ritual with them anyway, so they would willingly put the bags over their heads. Like plastic shopping bags? Yes. Now we're getting into David Carradine territory. There's a lot of people died. There's still a few members of this cult kicking around, but who in their right mind would claim any sort of relationship with this cult at this point? People like the Knights Templar. This is, yeah, I know, but that's like standing up and proudly declaring yourself a Branch Davidian. Like, there are still Branch Davidians out there too. Okay, these people need to be caught with giant butterfly nets. Like, <laughs> come on. There is some people who are still Branch Davidians because they did that Waco. Uh, documentary last year, the year before. I lose track of time now that I've had babies. <laughs> uh, I can't remember which baby I was off with. The next one I cannot pronounce for the love of me because it's Japanese. Okay. Um, Shinrikyo? Um, Shinrikyo. So we're just going to call it um from now on because that's A U M, not U H M as we would spell it in North America. <laughs> so they were a doomsday cult in Japan. Well, your very best cults always are. Also in 1990, 1990s, so uh, 1990s. The 90s were a wild time. The Branch Davidians, the the, do, the euthanasia cult was also, yeah. the Solar Temple was. So these people were also in Quebec, so that's why that rang some bells to you. Yeah. That's the, where some of the murders happened. The Hale Bop yes. Comet people were in the 90s as well. Yes, the, uh, oh God, what were they called? I just was reading about them too. Yeah, most of these were in the 90s. What was happening? So, yes, the 90s, very popular for cults. I don't know. It was a very depressed time, reality bites and all that jazz, I guess. Yeah. It's all that black nail polish and plaid. Yeah. Flannel, grunge music, all that stuff. (laughs) So, this was a uh, cult that uh, carried out deadly sarin attacks on the Tokyo subways. Okay, this I remember. Definitely. In the 1990s, yes. 
So, this was started by some dude, of course, <laughs> who liked to call himself Soko, and he established a foundational book declaring himself to be Christ. Again, not how that works, according to the Bible, but okay. He also said he was Japan's only fully enlightened master, and as well as identified himself as the Lamb of God. A lot of the interpretations of this religion were elements of Indian Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Book of Revelations was big with this guy, yoga, the writings of Nostradamus, and minimalism. Okay. So a lot of mixed bag of tricks. Yeah. I, I can build a really convincing lifestyle around everything if I chose to, like... Handpick some shit? Yeah. Um, while many discounted his claims, they often referred to this religion as offshoots of the Japanese Buddhism. He outlined a doomsday prophecy, prophecy which included a third world war incited by the U.S. Okay, well that's just a real easy guess. Like, you've been able to say that from, geez, depending on your point of view, 1776 all the way through. Like, Humanity would end except for an elite few who joined um. Okay. And their mission was not only to spread the word of salvation, but to also survive the end of days. But you don't want to survive the end of days. Like, the whole point is that you are raptured up, and then everyone else gets screwed over, and it's not your problem anymore. And he refers to the United States as the beast from the book of Revelations, which I thought was pretty funny. Predicting it would eventually attack Japan. (laughs) <laughs> no, not really, but okay. Like, <laughs> he was very paranoid. Clearly. So cool. Um, well, when saw, you're the Lamb of God, you've got to look over your shoulder. He saw dark conspiracies everywhere, and they were created and propagated by Jews, the Dutch, the British royal family, and rival Japanese religions. So I'll say that to you again. So he thought the people that were bad in the world were the Jews. Sorry, I forgot one. Jews, Freemasons, of course, the Dutch, uh-huh. the British royal family, mm-hmm. and rival Japanese religions. Yeah, checks out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he justified violence through its own interpretations of the Buddhist ideals and doctrines. Um, I think, again, complete opposite of the actual book that he's basing that off of. I don't know, there's some really interesting things happen places that are highly buddhist religions right now against like yes again but same you can say the same about the christians in the states it's really easy to yes corrupt your own morals and viewpoints and it's also christianity which is a bit dicey for hey on paper it works it's like communism looks great on paper it's the execution of it that i think we all have problems with and he claims that by bringing about the end of the world they would restore soho which i think is balance too bad nobody would be here to enjoy it because the world would have ended so he was one of the few uh, leaders of cults that I stumbled upon that actually continued their humble lifestyle. Oh, like it wasn't about a money grab. The only exception being the armored Mercedes Benz that was gifted to them by a wealthy follower. What? Well, can't say no to a gift. That's just rude. So other than that, they were very humble. Humble. Hmm. Uh, not a whole lot of wealth on his part. In some rare footage, he can be seen in a street in front of a large clown doll resembling himself, smiling happily. I don't know why they put it in there, but I thought it was <laughs> creepy. Like, so creepy. Mm. 
So they claim that, uh, so there's this book written in 1996, The Cult That Ended the, at the End of the World, the terrifying story of Um Doomsday Cult from the subways of Tokyo to the nuclear arsenals of Russia. That is a mouthful. Isn't it? Claimed that, it, that even though a lot of its practices remain a secret, they had initiation rituals that involved using hallucinogenics, such as LSD, religious practices that also that often involved extreme yoga practices that would include being upside down and given shock therapy. I cannot think of a single time during yoga where shock therapy is at all appropriate. <laughs> at least not in any of the yoga I've ever done. No, no. So... There was a bunch of stuff uh, that happened in leading up to their big attack. Um, they kidnapped uh, and murdered the brother of a former member who escaped. They stole some stuff from a cooling tower. They, they did some crazy ass chemical weapons attacks. They tried, they failed sometimes. They tried to put out some more gases kill people and then finally uh, plans were made by police to simultaneously raid all of the cult facilities across Japan Mm -hmm. in the March of uh, 1995. Prosecutors alleged that they were tipped off about this and then he ordered the subway attacks to you know play a game of look over here Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, to divert the police. So on the morning of March 20th 1995 um, members released a binary chemical weapon most closely were similar to sarin in a coordinated attack on five trains in the Tokyo subway system, killing 13 commuters, seriously injuring 54, and affecting 980 on top of that. Mm -hmm. Some uh, estimated claims that as many 6,000 people were injured by the sarin, but it was difficult to obtain because many victims were reluctant to come forward. I don't know why they would have been reluctant to come forward. I don't know if the power of this cult was just so big at the time. Maybe. Over the next week, a huge raid was uh, executed on all of their facilities. And the police found explosives, chemical weapons, a Russian Mil MI-17 military helicopter. Wow. Uh, while they also the, while the reports of finding biological warfare agents such as anthrax and Ebola were reported, these claims now appear to be wildly exaggerated. But there were stockpiles of chemicals that could could be used for producing enough sarin to kill four million people. Yikes! They also found laboratories for manufacturing LSD and methamphetamines, a a crude form of truth serum, and a safe containing millions of US dollars in cash and gold, and cells, still some containing prisoners. Holy shit, they had a jail in there. During the raids, the uh, group issued statements claiming that the chemicals were for fertilizers. Oh, of course. We just have a very large garden out back. We enjoy our carrots. Yeah. Over the next six weeks, over 150 cult members were arrested for various offenses. The media was stationed outside uh, the group's headquarters in Tokyo for months after the attacks and arrests waiting for action and to get images of the cult's other members. On March 30th, the chief of the National Police Agency agent C was shot four times near his home in Tokyo and was seriously wounded. 
Many suspected that the uh, um was involved in the shooting, and but nobody was ever charged. I mean, shit shot if they got him four times and only winged him. Not or enough to kill him. Throw back to the uh, self-published husband murderer. Uh-huh. If you shoot him four times and he still gets up, he's either super man or you're a shit shot. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually the leader and some other members of the cult were all convicted. So, and then they were put on death row and actually they were executed just this year. I was going to say they were, it was just in the news something happened. Yeah. Yeah. They had executed a bunch of people on July 6th, 2018, even though, um, Amnesty International criticized the use of the death penalty in the case. Pick your battles. Maybe this isn't the one to go with. While executions are very rare in Japan, mm-hmm. they have public support, especially around these ones, according to the survey. No shit. So there's 13 death row at the t- 13 people in death row at the time, and they had there was a couple of fugitives outstanding, and those were all caught in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Although they were all still in Tokyo, but they were all fugitives. <laughs> Big city. Very tightly packed city, apparently. Yeah. So the leader was uh, executed in July. The head of intelligence for the group, the getaway driver for the uh, Tokyo attacks, and one of the perpetrators, one of the perpetrators of the family who was killed. Okay. And a couple of other just straight-up murderers. Someone was convicted of strangling a young cult member, suspected of dissidents. A, the head scientists was also uh, executed, and the chief chemist and director of the sarin gas manufacturing. I mean, I think they got the right people <laughs> to convict and put to death in that case. And then um, six more were executed uh, later in July, and most of those were either perpetrators of the subway attack or perpetrators of the murder of a family. Hmm. Yes. So the chief, the head of the organization, Suko, his ashes will be collected by his youngest daughter, according to his will, but she urges her relatives and cult members to put an end to the um and stop hating society. The ashes will be kept at the detention center for the time being for fear of reprisals from other elements of the cult. So, so the cult leader was still alive and was just executed this summer. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that's what I saw in the news. Yeah. So he managed to survive all that. So right now there's two, so the original version of the cult is null and void, but it has split into two factions. Oh, that never goes well in yeah. history. There was a faction called Elf, A-L-E-P-H. A-L-E-P-H? Yeah. Elif? Elif. And then a the Moscow operations are called Hope. Hakuum no way, or the Circle of Light. Hmm. So the first one was started by his son, and uh, they had been, they were raided, they had their, their office rate offices raided uh, just after their father lost his final appeal. And then the, they are still under, they're still around, but they are under watch. So the original cult the um mm-hmm. is actually banned and they split into two groups one in russia and one in japan that both groups are on watch lists and they keep getting renewed for three years to be probably watched. wise yeah probably wise um the circle of light version in 
in Moscow, claims to be committed to uniting science and religion, creating the new science of the human mind. Having previously aimed to move the group away from its criminal history and towards its spiritual roots. The Investigation Committee of Russia announced it opened a critical criminal case against the group, um, along with the Federal Security Services, are conducting conducted raids uh, in Moscow and St. Petersburg to find and confiscate literature, religious items, and electronic information. And then they promptly banned the group. You know when Russia takes those measures? You got some issues. Yeah. <laughs> that the Alif, or whatever you pronounce that one, the second one, they ended up getting raided again in 2017 because a woman paid tens of thousands of yens for study sessions. Once again, you're back to the Nexium and Scientology of it all. Yep. So they all sort of align up in a lovely group. There was actually one group that I was looking into, and I decided not to do them. They had done a attack on uh, voters. They were trying in Oregon. They just poisoned some salad bars with uh, food poisoning, basically. Murder salad actually happens. They didn't. Nobody died. I don't think <laughs> they just ended up getting very ill. Right. Everybody had their wounds. Yikes! They couldn't get out and vote. But uh, that person had 13 or 14 Rolls Royces, so he would actually drive around the commune and let his people, like, line up and wave at him. Oh, my God. I think this is a Simpsons episode. That was what that's from, from The Simpsons. So (laughs) as soon as I read that, I'm like, that's where The Simpsons (laughs) took this from, is this dude. So there are some cults. I'm sure we'll do cults again because there are a lot of them. We need to do like a CBC level deep dive on Nexium alone. If not, I remember our original discussions too about this podcast like four years ago. Scientology got on the list. Oh, yeah. I didn't look at Scientology because everybody knows about it. And also, we don't want to get sued. Yeah, and don't want to get scavenge coming after us. Yeah, (laughs) I don't want like, you know, Tom Cruise's unblinking eyes haunting me at night. Just random dudes parked in the end of your driveway, taking pictures and watching you. It's not up your alley. Not what you're looking for. No, I have my attack cat outside the house. So, <laughs> attack cat looks a little mangy, but it's getting better. Yes, she just can't come inside my house because we're very allergic to her. It's so sad. She probably wants snuggles. Yeah. Well, actually, every time I open the door, she hisses at me. So, well, she's getting used to you. Yeah, she'll eventually want snuggles. Yeah. So, that's, is Dan allergic? Yeah, we're both. He's even more allergic than I am. He can take one for the team and go out and give her some scratches between the ears and under the chin. And I'm sure we'll get there. <laughs> just send the kids out. That's how you test if the kids are allergic. I so listen, Victoria at one point is like banging the stick on the ground, being like kitty, and I'm like, it is safer that you were out there, dude. Like just, 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 just. Cats around small children not advisable until at least age five or six. Yeah, so I'm like, it is safer for you to be out there in your newly built cat house. Yes. Here, I have some pictures of that. Yeah. I haven't actually gone outside to take a picture of it because it's bloody cold. Bloody cold, yeah. Like I said at the start of the episode, I knew what Andy was doing because of our joint binge watching, listening, <laughs> watching again. We have to get used to saying binge listening session about um, unba- um, unba- Uncovered. Uncovered and Nexium. 
So that led me to a topic that I wanted to do for a while, and followers of our Twitter account will have seen a picture that went up a couple of months ago uh, hinting at this topic. One of my favorite nonfiction writers is a guy called John Ronson. You ever heard of him? Probably. But... Uh, so my friend Halla turned me on to him years and years ago, and he's done a bunch of books that are deep dives onto things like extremist books. Um, his most recent was Public Shaming in the Social Media Enabled World. It's really good. And um, he also did a book about goats with exploding hearts. And that's probably where you know him from, The Men Who Scare at Goats. That movie was based off of a book of the same name that John Ronson did. Oh, my God. So we looked at the MK Ultra and the American Army's super secret divisions that were testing, like, mind control and stuff like that. So he has this really quirky way of getting into his stories, and they're just great. One of my favorite books that he did, uh, and what inspired my story today, is a book called The Psychopath Test. And in it, he kind of looks at the industry around psychopathy and sociopaths and psychopaths and what goes into making them, what goes into diagnosing them, what happens with them, how they're identified. It's a really interesting book. A lot of what I'm talking about is kind of inspired by what John Ronson goes through, but go read the book. It's just, he's smarter than I am and better researched. It wasn't like nine o'clock and he wasn't listening to questionable 60s music while the cat was demanding snuggles. I'm sure, as he prepped his like I did mine. The Holy Bible in the Field of Psychiatry is a book known as the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's currently in its fifth iteration, so it's commonly known as the DMS-5. According to the American Psychiatric Association, which publishes, publishes the DMS, the manual is, quote, the product of more than 10 years of effort by hundreds of international experts in all aspects of mental health. Their dedication and hard work have yielded an authoritative volume that defines and classifies mental disorders in order to improve diagnoses, treatment, and research. So this is a long time effort on behalf of psychiatry to classify mental disorders because you can only treat what is recognized and understood. Mm -hmm. So you have to classify them, give them, here are the signs of it, here's how treatment works, stuff like that. So DMS-5 is just the most current and modern version of something that started as far back as uh, the Second World War. In fact, no, it started in 1840 with the U.S. Census, who tried to record the number of people afflicted with, quote, idiocy slash insanity. So even as far back as the 1840s, the government was trying to study how many people with mental issues there were out in the world. In 1921, the APA worked with the American Medical Association to publish the first edition of the American Medical Association's Standard Classified Nomenclature of Disease. And then that grew following the Second World War when the U.S. Army and Veterans Affairs and the World Health Organization contributed to the development of uh, classifying mental issues. The first edition of the DSM, though, was published in 1952, and each iteration takes years to create. So John Ronson does a great explanation of what the process was. It's basically a bunch of psychiatrists get in the room and just start shouting out, I think this is a condition. It should go in the manual. And then they all argue with one another. You and I have said it in on enough like competency developments. We know how this rolls. Yes, it's painful. Oh my god. Uh, DMS-5, the most recent one, took 13 years to finalize. Good lord. <laughs> so some of those are probably not even valid. There's probably a bunch of different classifications of them by the time they get. And people argue back and forth. Uh, homosexuality used to be in the DSM. Yeah. Obviously, that was 
taken out in the 90s. Changes uh, when they happen to the DSM uh, take into consideration things like the shifting culture, uh, providing clear directions for diagnosing children, because a lot of these are foisted onto very young children. There's some debate whether or not that's legitimate or not. It identifies uh, conditions for further study. So in the most recent version, there is a list of things that people have said are possible conditions that we need to look at more deeply. One of them being internet gaming disorder hmm. is in the more recent version of DMS. It also provides clarity and updates the information on about a dozen conditions in the most recent updates. If you hate yourself and want to be able to self-diagnose your tics and your twitches, you can pick up a copy of the DMS-5 from the APA for the bargain price of $128 for the ebook. Oh, that's not bad. If you want a coffee table version, which is the hardcover, you go at $210. Be warned though, the DMS is currently 991 pages. Yeah, they're never small. Yeah, pro tip, don't buy this book. <laughs> you're just asking for trouble. It's like WebMD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of cancer, you're schizophrenic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what is psychopathy? That's what I wanted to look at. The DMS information was kind of a to help me understand where the diagnosis and where the definition comes from, but what is the condition itself? So from the website of the Society for the Scientific Study of Psychopathy, we have this definition. Psychopathy is a constellation of traits that comprises affective features such as lack of guilt, empathy, and deep emotional attachments to others, interpersonal features such as narcissism and superficial charm, and impulsive and antisocial behaviors including dishonesty, manipulativeness, and reckless risk-taking. Quite a list. And I think everyone listening has checked off the list in association with someone they know. (laughs) Why yes. So although psychopathy is a risk factor, this is still the the definition given by this association, although psychopathy is a risk factor for physical aggression, it is by no means synonymous with it. In contrast to individuals with psychotic disorders, most psychopaths are in touch with reality and seemingly rational. Psychopathic individuals are found at elevated rates in prisons and jails, but can be found in community settings as well. They's everywhere. (laughs) We're just talking about degrees at a certain point. So if you hear that definition and you think to yourself, that sounds like a sociopath, you're not alone. And for me, when you tell me someone has no guilt, no conscience, I think sociopath, not psychopath. Uh, but in fact, there are some distinctions between the two, even though those terms are used interchangeably. So from our favorite WebMD, there's an article called Sociopath versus Psychopath, What's the Difference? First of all, you're gonna find neither term in the DMS-5. It's not a recognized diagnosis in and of itself. Instead, you have to go and look at the entry for antisocial personality disorder. And antisocial personality disorder has a large constellation of possible disorders associated within it. The primary difference between a sociopath and a psychopath, though, is a conscience. Psychopaths don't have one, while sociopaths do and just don't care to listen to it. So that was the big thing with Sherlock. That came yes. In the... Benedict Cumberbatch version. Steve Moffat. Yeah. I was thinking about that on my walk home the other day. So what does he say? Like, I'm not a... I'm not a psychopath. I'm a sociopath. A high-functioning psychopath. A sociopath. Yes. Uh, Psychopaths are out to advance their own lives, and they'll do it with a cold, calculating approach, whereas sociopaths are on the make, but it's in a less controlled way. So think 
the con artist. It's probably classified as a sociopath. There's an article from a website called therevive.com, and it's a mental health awareness and therapist network. And it also offers a further clarification on what antisocial personality disorder is. Sociopathy is rooted in environmental causes, while psychopathy is is genetically based. Hmm. So you can be raised by a con man and become a sociopath, but you could also be raised by church-going heteronormative couple and become a psychopath if your wiring is just broken that way. DMS-5 notes that antisocial personality disorder cannot be diagnosed in an individual until at least the age of 18, even though the traits appear much earlier, and men are more likely to have the condition. So you can't just, like, diagnose the emo kid that you know. Right. Because he just might be a teenager going through an emo phase. Exactly. That's why they say don't diagnose in youth. It could be growth in phases. But, I mean, sadly, have you ever seen the movie or read the book, We Have to Talk About Kevin? No, but I've heard of it. (sighs) That's rough because the woman has a son and automatically knows there's something very deeply fundamentally wrong with him, but can't do anything about it because he's still a child and ends up perpetrating a school shooting. Oh, God. Yeah. It is haunting as a story and one of the reasons why I don't want kids because you never know. (laughs) So the consensus out in the medical community is that there's little that can be done to treat someone with uh, antisocial personality disorder and instead imprisonment, supervision or monitoring or an informal monitoring by law enforcement is really the best and only way to deal with these people. I have a very quick screening tool to help us assess if we're psychopaths and for oh, our listeners, our listeners to assess it as well. And this is according to John Ronson and his book. Are you ready? Sure. Did you listen to that definition that I gave you and wonder, Jesus, am I a psychopath? Or have you ever done something and thought to yourself, Jesus, I wonder, does that make me a psychopath? No. Really? Yeah. You've never done anything like super questionable? Well, I've done things super questionable. I've just never really questioned if I'm a psychopath. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think Andy just failed the test. Probably. Because basically the test is, if you've ever asked yourself a question like that, you're not a psychopath. Because psychopaths don't care. So they would never bother wondering if they are. I've questioned myself when I make questionable choices, but not. I've never formed the question in my head. I'm a little worried. And now Andy and I are alone in a room on a floor (laughs) with very few people around at this time of night. Uh, So I'm just going to pop out. And uh, yeah. It was a pleasure knowing you all through this podcast, but I don't think I'll survive until the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the snort is back. (laughs) Okay, but let's be more scientific in our approach and actually look at two tests that can help determine if you're a psychopath. We have the DMS-5's criteria checklist for antisocial personality disorder, and we have something called the hair psychopathy checklist. So we talked about the DMS-5, and it's no surprise that the criteria it sets out is very clinical. First things first, since you were 15 years old, have you had a general disregard for and the violation of the rights of others in the following way? Have you failed to obey the laws in such a way that you would have been arrested if a cop saw you do something? I speed all the time. Okay, so yes. (laughs) Further things to terrify me. You speed too, shush. (laughs) Have you ever lied, deceived, or manipulated people for profit or just for fun? 
Okay, well, I have some. We're going to check that for mine. <laughs> have you demonstrated impulsive behaviors? Yes, I think mm-hmm. most people have. <laughs> have you been irritable and aggressive to the point where you're frequently assaulting others or gotten into fights? Oh, gotten real close. <laughs> like, real close sometimes. But, yeah. See, that's the difference between getting close... And doing. And doing. Yes. I've only ever almost hit somebody once, and that was because they caught my hand. Because they what? Caught my hand. Oh. <laughs> or I'd drawn off and slapped them. <laughs> Have you had a pattern of blatantly disregarding the safety of yourself and others? No. Okay, well, I have some. I have to check for mine. Have you had a pattern... Other than my speeding issues. Well, this is it, yes. <laughs> have you had a pattern of irresponsibility? In what way? <laughs> well, anything you would define irresponsible. Again, we're going back to my speeding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's the only way I can remotely get anywhere on time. True. I have two small children. Have you lacked remorse for your actions? No. I feel bad that I speed. Okay. Uh, I think judging by this list, I'm a psychopath and Andy should be worried about getting to her car on time. <laughs> but... So those are the things that you go through in the DMS-5 to assess. And then you have to ask, are you over the age of 18? Yes. <laughs> I wish no, but yes. Have you had issues with your conduct as above before the age of 15? No. Okay. And can you confirm that you don't have schizophrenia or bipolar disorder? Yes. So that's the DMS-5's criteria. So you go through the list. If you've had all these questionable behaviors or any of them, they're warning flags. If you're over the 18, you can be officially diagnosed as a psychopath or having antisocial behavior, I should say, for the DMS-5. Um, but they do give room for the fact that these behaviors don't start at age 18. So the actual questions themselves are from the age of 15 onward, yeah. but then the follow-up question is, did you display these activities before 15 as well? Also, that's some really loose questions. Well, yeah, that's we don't have psychology degrees, yeah. so we wouldn't start. We don't know how to like dig in yeah, and get to the, the meat of the, the issue, right? And then also DMS-5 makes sure that neither schizophrenia nor bipolar can be confused with psychopathy. Yeah. Important distinctions to be made. So it's very clinical. It's very high level. And it's not the actual popular way that society and the criminal justice system really in the Western world is using to determine who is a psychopath and who isn't. To do that, we have to turn to Hare's Psychopath Checklist. This information comes from a CBC article called The Psychopath Next Door, and they did a really big doc series about psychopathy, which I'm now going to check out after this. I didn't have a chance when I did this. So the Hare Checklist was developed in the 70s by a Canadian professor and researcher, Dr. Robert Hare. He's renowned in the field of criminal psychology and has spent more than 30 years studying psychopaths. His checklist is used to assess the threat a suspected psychopath is to society, whether that's a free society out in the world or even an institutionalized society. So the idea is you give them this test to help determine the length and the location of their incarceration. So supermax with very limited interaction with guards and other prisoners, or are they harmless enough to go into a gen pop medium to high security? Bob Hare's checklist also recognizes the fact that you can't really diagnose someone as a child in this, but there is a modified version to use with youth between the ages of 12 and 18. So still the recognition that these patterns don't start as an adult, it starts in childhood. 
And there are 20 symptoms that an interviewer, so read a psychiatrist, uses to assess the severity of psychopathy. For each of the 20 items on the checklist, you score a zero, a one, or a two. The higher your score, the worse of a psychopath that you are. The perfect psychopath will score a 40, uh, whereas a score of 30 or above will qualify you of getting that diagnosis. Any non-psychopathic criminal offenders usually score around a 22. And if you have no criminal background, you're likely to score about a five. So you're still gonna pop on these tests. So let's self-diagnose. Which you should not do at home. Yes, we do not. But Andy and I are not professionals, so we're gonna do it here. Yeah. Okay, so Harris checklist. Do you exhibit glib and superficial charm? Yes. Severe or moderate? Moderate? You get one point. Woohoo! You have a pen. Keep score. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh, we both gotta do it. I would say a one for me too. Do you have a grandiose, so an exaggerated estimation of self? No. Okay, give me a point. <laughs> Do you have a constant need for stimulation? Yes. Okay. Severe or moderate? Moderate. Okay. One point. Give me a point. Are you a pathological liar? No. <laughs> this question is flawed. <laughs> like, how you're going to get at it. Okay. Yeah. Me either. Zero and zero. Are you cunning and manipul manipulative? I don't think so. Okay. I can be, though. So maybe a point. Okay. Give me a point, too. Do you lack remorse or guilt? Just in general. No. Yeah. I'm crippled by it half the time, so I get no points on that one. Do you have I two small children? I'm always feeling guilty. <laughs> you guilt is your default setting at this yes. point. Do you have a shallow affect, so superficial emotional responsiveness? No. No. Yes. I'll cry at the drop of the hat, so that's no. Are you callous and do you lack empathy? No. Me either. I was crying during Finding Dory this weekend. <laughs> For shame. Although, what was I reading? I was crying the other night, too. Sorry, Finding Dory is very emotional at times. <laughs> What was I? I had something on and I started to like weep and I was just like, I'm pathetic. It might even have been the ending of The Shining. I'm not lying. <laughs> Do you have a parasitic lifestyle? No. Yeah, me either. I wish I did though. It sounds delightful. <laughs> Do you have poor behavioral controls? I would say, yeah, I, I have no self control over the things that like I. <laughs> I'd like to kick that Pepsi monkey off my back, but mm -hmm. good lord, no. So moderate or severe? Moderate. Okay. One, and give me one, two. Are you sexually promiscuous? <laughs> me either. Zero. Uh, did you display early behavior problems? No. No. No bedwetting? Crushing no. bugs? No. I probably did as my kids. <laughs> my mother's probably like, yeah, she did. Yes. <laughs> you remember there was like two weeks there you were telling me about Elizabeth and I was like, I think she's a psychopath. Like, let's go through the list. <laughs> she's a bedwetter. <laughs> she likes to crush <laughs> bugs. She was at the time, given she was probably like nine months old, but like still. <laughs> uh, where are we? Behavioral issues. Okay. Do you, you lack zero in that? Uh, Yes. Uh, no, you better put me down for one. I was an army child. I had issues. 
Do you lack realistic long-term goals? Probably, yeah. I don't have really. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't have them. So is that a, where are we on that? I don't know. Is that like <laughs> a bubble? <laughs> Let's give ourselves one on that Okay. <laughs> are you overly impulsive? No. No. I think I am. Am I? No. Give me no. zero. Give me zero. I don't think you're overly impulsive. I'm just impulsive. Yeah. Occasionally impulsive. <laughs> We're sort of that both, like, we'll do big things. Like, you bought a car rather impulsively, oh, yeah. but, like, pick something <laughs> off of a menu, like oh, I was and I'm, like, a ball of nerves and unable to, yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Are you irresponsible? No. Yeah, no, me either. I wish I could be. I was going to say, you were definitely not. <laughs> Do you fail to accept responsibility for your own actions? Oh, God, no. I will accept responsibility for the small things so that when the big things blow up, I don't have to. Because I'm thought of as being honest. This is honestly a... Ooh. Uh, I'm going to give you a point for that one. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's how you build a career. <laughs> I'm going to probably give myself a point on that okay, one, okay. too. So. <laughs> Have you had many short-term marital relationships? No, I've, yeah, no. I'm still on my first marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a history of juvenile delinquency? No. Me either. I'm such a boring kid. <laughs> have you experienced a revocation of conditional release? So have you been on parole and no. they put you back? Yeah, no, me either. Do you display criminal versatility? <laughs> yeah, no, me either. Awful criminal. You don't hop from like burglary to murder back to like no. panhandle. Okay, got it. So count us up. Where are we at? That's it. One. So I am one, two, three, four, five, six. And you are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> so as a reminder, if you have no criminal history, you're likely to score about a five. So Andy is kind of close. I'm a little worried about myself, but I think Andy should be too at this point. Um, Non-psychopathic criminal offenders score around a 22. So I think I'm closer to that. Yeah. I got a few psychopathic tendencies, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I'm unlikely. Yes. You're not exactly going to be wearing somebody's a coat someday. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No face masks. No nipple belts. No, exactly. Yeah. So what's life like for a psychopath? Uh, there's an article from The Atlantic by Ed Young called How Psychopaths See the World. The root of a psychopath's problem is that they just don't understand emotions. Now, for the most part, human beings learn to read emotions really quickly. It's a very, it's an early kind of survival mechanism that we developed to read somebody's facial expression, read their body language, and then to respond accordingly. But for some reason, psychopaths, well, they can pick up on these social cues. They just don't care. Like they see them, they can understand what it yeah. means, but they don't understand how to react appropriately to them. So how likely are we to run into one out in the wild? Cause I think we've all looked at someone and thought, holy shit, you are a psychopath. Yes, Andy is scribbling a name. Oh, that's not the name I thought you were gonna put because we think we both know several. <laughs> that's true, we kind of know what to do. <laughs> From Psychology Today, there's an article by Preston Nee called Seven Traits of the Modern Sociopath and Psychopath. Research suggests that 4% of the population are sociopathic, while 5 to 15 are almost psychopathic. About 75% of them are men, so the remaining 25 are women. 
Our current culture of materialism, social intolerance, and desensitization to violence may be creating a culture where these people can thrive. Terrifying. (laughs) Utterly terrifying. Sociopaths and psychopaths are often bullies. They're narcissistic. They're misogynists. They're bigots. And they often engage in gaslighting. Andy's pointing dramatically at the name of the person we would both agree fits these bills. In relationships, these people will lure uh, their partner or their coworker in with a superficial charm and a calculated charisma. But then once the relationship is cemented and it's hard for the other person to exit, the cruelty comes out and the gaslighting starts and the abuse comes with it. They'll deceive, manipulate and abuse the people in relationships with them and have absolutely no qualms about it. They are often in positions of power in the workplace, especially in work environments where naked ambition, exploitative tendencies, and aggressions are seen as positives. So they'll do well in business, finance, politics, media, and other prominent fields, and their success often leaves a trail of unethical decisions in its wake. So John Ronson has a really good example of the um, Sunbeam Toaster Company, I think it was where the company was failing because once you own one toaster you don't replace them annually so every household had a toaster and the company started to slide they brought in a corporate fixer air quotes around fixer whose solution was to lay off four-fifths of the company's um, workforce and the the stock skyrocketed because all of a sudden it was turning a massive profit but it wasn't sustainable and then it started to tank and behind it it decimated a lot of the american industrial communities out in the midwest and this guy was lauded for being such a great corporate mind clearly a sociopath slash psychopath slash antisocial behavior disorder (laughs) to make these decisions so knee's article finishes with a quote uh, that made a lot of resonated with me and made a lot of sense. That is, sociopaths slash psychopaths achieve their objectives through the relentless immoral pursuit of power and personal gain, leaving a trail of human suffering and societal damage in their wake. Yes. Andy just put down another name on her sheet of who I was thinking of, one of the people I was thinking of, uh, but yes. So my last notes that I left for myself is that we all know people who we may classify as psychopaths, I mean, toddlers fit that bill to a T in general. Oh, yeah. But they're also toddlers. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Fine. I won't diagnose Elizabeth until she's a little bit older. But like all diagnoses, you shouldn't try to make one if you don't have a degree. There. Stop trying to diagnose my toddler. Yes. That said, if you suspect there actually is a psychopath in your life and you have to deal with it, watch them very, very, very carefully Arm yourself with knowledge about the tricks that they have and do what you can to protect yourself. So everyone gets CC'd on all emails if it's in a workplace. Make sure your family knows if you're trying to exit an abusive relationship what the score is. There's a lot of apps you can download on your phone for that'll send emergency pings off if it's triggered. Arm yourself with the knowledge, but also arm yourself with a way to protect yourselves. Get a murder buddy. Get a murder buddy. Andy is my murder buddy. As a single woman living alone, I often have to have um, trades come into my house to do stuff. And we live in a terrifying time. So I text Andy and say, the plumber's coming by at 9. If you don't hear from me by 10, please call the police so they can come find my body. Like Before the cat eats it. Before the cat eats it. Yeah. So, so that's my little trip down the psychopathic rabbit hole. Firmly terrified of all people. 
think you should be more terrified of me. This isn't how I thought the night was going to go, but there we are. <laughs> oh, so you thought I was just like, oh, please. <laughs> I distrust everyone. Uh, Don't take it personally. <laughs> so I hope you found our uh, look at cults and psychopaths, which most of these people running these cults, I think, oh, definitely I, yeah. qualify. I think the Nexium guy fits in there. Oh my God, that guy is... Such a psychopath. Yeah. I mean, anyone who can convince you that dropping sarin on a very crowded subway system is good, or that we'll put up a poster saying, eat babies, and you want to get on board with that, like, geez, Louise. Kill yourself. Like, any... Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I I don't see what's Mm -hmm. so interesting about... No, humanity can't have nice things because we don't deserve nice things. So I hope you all enjoyed our trip down cult and psychopath alley. <laughs> Not even a rabbit hole. It's just so wide and so well paved. Yeah. There's a lot of cults. I'm sure we'll come back to to them. But... I mean, I was thinking the other day, like, if I had even, although now that I've seen the psychopath test score, I might classify myself as possible, but like... It seems like a great lifestyle. If you can organize and set yourself up as a leader of a cult, money, sex, comfort, power. So I'm just saying, like, I was thinking about it. It would be an awesome career. And if I had, like, even a little bit less of a conscience, I might have looked into this as a career choice. (laughs) Forget this, like, quality assurance bullshit. Like, I should have just gone into culting. There you go, Dad. That's a good use of my, my master's. Degree. Thank you for paying for my undergrad and part of my master's. <laughs> you should be so proud. I'll get you a jet. <laughs> what would you call it, though? The cult of Welly or something? Ooh, no. He's too dumb. I'd, I'd come up with something weird, like Nexium with like a V instead of a W. Oh, please don't do that. <laughs> Make it super hard to spell every time you try to text about me. <laughs> My iPhone was like, I don't understand what's happening right now. I just gave up. I couldn't even. <laughs> so, if you want to find us, you can find us online on our website, which also hosts our wonderful blog, which Elise has written the last few weeks because I've been very busy. Mm-hmm. So, you'll see a bunch of posts from me in December. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, at rabbitholespodcast.com. You can email us at rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. Twitter at Rabbit Holes Pod, Facebook Rabbit Holes Podcast page, Instagram at Rabbit Holes Podcast. Yes, and if you would like to support us, we have a Patreon page set up. Just head on over to Patreon and search for the, the show's name, or you can connect via the support tab on our website. There's lots of fun stuff up and more coming to the not so secret secret part of the website. Every so often, Andy and I will go off on weird little tangents that are kind of related to the story, and instead of inflicting them on everyone ruining the flow of the story i will cut those up and post them as bonus clips so if you are a member you'll find out about andy's early employment history Mm -hmm. the worst moment of her entire life uh when she watched a sex scene with her parents in a movie so awkward very fun stuff up there other ways that you can support us, uh, wear our merch out in the world. We have a merch store set up with redbubble.com. Again, just go to that website and search our name, or you can find links to the merch tab on our website. 
And once again, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment now that the show is over and you've listened to head on to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading this podcast from and leave us a good rating or a review, it really helps with our visibility and getting our name out there. So remember, everyone, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Have a great one. Bye, guys. Bye.